The Calgary Flames are so good, they managed to overtake Nashville for tops in the Western Conference on Saturday. Is their success sustainable? Later, we tackle the odds of anti-Ranta returning to the Coyotes this year, as well as a pair of controversial hits and a major OHL trade involving my junior hockey team. Episode 149 starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Ottawa 67's fan, Stephen Ellsworth. <laughs> I'm Brett Dubuff. And uh, we're going to uh, get into all the big headlines of hockey. But first, as always, we're going to delve in the Hockey Hall of Fame book of trivia. Brett, are you ready for this week's question? Yes. All right, question 37. Here it is. And this is, again, another one purely based on luck and good hockey knowledge. But uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be pleasantly surprised if you knew this one. Which NHLer did not attend his Hall of Fame ceremony because his wife wasn't welcome at the events? Your options are A, Eddie Shore, B, Ted Lindsay, C, Maurice the Rocket Richard, or D, George Armstrong. Yeah, this is one of those ones where I have no idea. Um, yeah. It is an interesting one. Uh, I don't know. I'm going with Eddie Shore. Ted Lindsay was wow. the correct answer. Do they know why the wife wasn't allowed in? Yeah, so they, they have an explanation. I'll read it to you. So um, Ted Lindsay was not really a household name like Gordie Howe. He was a great player, right. but he wasn't a household name like the Rocket or Gordie. But um, apparently, Ted Lindsay was more of a justice guy than a goodwill ambassador like Gordie Howe was. Um, here's some of the things that Ted Lindsay did. Um, he didn't back down from team managers or even league executives. And how we know today's players association it was through the early efforts of Ted Lindsay who basically put his livelihood on the line to form a players union in the 1950s so when he learned that his hall of fame banquet was a males only affair he wrote a letter of protest explaining that his wife had sacrificed a lot to advance his career and that he wanted her there to share in the honor saying if my family can't share in this, I won't go. The yeah. Hall of Fame refused to budge, and he did not attend the 1966 ceremony. Hmm. Interesting. So there's a little bit of backstory for uh, Ted Lindsay for you, hockey yeah. fans. For sure. Yeah, that's interesting. Did not know that. I've heard of Ted Lindsay before. I didn't realize he was like the opinion, that opinionated uh, before. So um, yeah. that's cool. All right, uh, yeah, so just like uh, Steve started the show, uh, we're going to talk about the Calgary Flames. Uh, yeah, they're the hottest team, well, they're one of the hottest teams in the league. Uh, they did beat Nashville on Saturday, but uh, they are one point below them in the standings. So if, you know, if the playoffs were today, the Predators would win, um, would get 
home ice advantage um, uh, throughout the Western Conference. But the Calgary Flames would win their division in the Pacific. So it's still uh, good enough to talk about as a team as a whole in depth. Um, yeah, so the, the impressive thing about them is that, you know, of course, we all knew that Johnny Goudreau and Sean Monaghan are good players. And they had this new coach in uh, Bill Peters. I mean, he's not new, but uh, new to them. Um, and we weren't sure exactly how how Bill Peters was going to coach um, and how he was going to change the team. And it seems like it's working out for them. But the craziest thing about them and why we're talking about them in the main topic is uh, their, their goalies. Um, their goalie hasn't necessarily been great um, or more inconsistent is more the term here. Um, so on a whole, David Riddick, um, has been their best goalie, although he's only played uh, 15 games as opposed to Mike Smith, who's played 19. Um, David Riddick is 8-3-1 and one, uh, with a 9.22 save percentage and a 2.29 GAA. Um, and Mike Smith has uh, a ni- uh, in 19 games has is a, has an 11-7-1 and seven and one record with an 894 save percentage and a GAA of 2.88. So that does seem pretty bad. However, in the last um, two weeks, uh, Mike Smith has really picked it up and David Riddick hasn't. Um, So Mike Smith has played in five games. Um, One of of those games was a shutout um, and he has a 929 save percentage um, so that's that's pretty good, obviously. Um, he won all five of those games. Um, and then David Riddick has a 3.45 GAA and a save percentage of 0.889 save percentage in three games uh, in the past two weeks. Um, so so it's, it's interesting because they're both very inconsistent. Um, and neither one of us had, I don't think neither one of us has put them on our top three in our power rankings, uh, mostly just because for me, I am still concerned about their, their, uh, their goaltending. Um, and it seems like Mike Smith has uh, been able to find his groove back. Um, but at the same time, it is, you know, Mike Smith's 34 years old. Um, and I'm not necessarily sure about David Reddick. He has, he has shown glimpses that of what he can be. Um, it's still, um, you know, it's still somewhat of a, a tough sell to see if he can actually, um, you know, last the entire season and be consistent throughout. So that's, I, I'm concerned about their goaltending situation. Well, the good news is, um, if it was based on past success, um, it wouldn't really matter that much because if it was based on past success, uh, Matt Murray would be a Vezina Trophy candidate, and he's anything but that right now. Yep. So uh, I think the biggest question is whether or not the Flames can be a powerhouse with a 1A, 1B goalie system. I mean, you look at Mike Smith. He's 26th in the, in the NHL in saves right now, um, and – I would advise people to take that stat with a grain of salt because he's only played 19 games. And you look at some of the upper echelon goalies, 
Um, that's basically eight to ten games less than goalies in the top ten for appearances. So, um, I like I said, it, it it might not seem like a lot, but um, the the team in front of him has definitely helped because if you if you look at uh, if you look at the Calgary Flames, um, they've allowed the third fewest shots against per game. So. You, you compare that to previous years, and I definitely think it's a better defensive structure. I think their defense is playing more to their strengths. And I think at times David Riddick has benefited from that, um, even though uh, he's lower than Mike Smith on the list in uh, total saves made this year. But again, he hasn't really played that much. Um, but like you mentioned, it's good that Mike Smith is returning to form because I think the Flames need him to be good. Um, two goals against or less in five of his last six starts. Hasn't given up four or more goals in an outing since November the 1st versus the Avs. And before that game, there were five instances where he gave up more than four goals. Um, and during that time, it was, like you said, David Riddick stepping up to the plate uh, 2.92 goals against average last year. That's down considerably this year. Um, save percentage was 904 last year. It's gone up by 0 .018. Um, looked a bit human of late. So, again, that begs the question is, you know, one goalie's hot, the other goalie's not, and that's a role of reversal. How many times can they go through that and expect to be a playoff contender? I think the Flames can be a playoff contender with a 1A, 1B goalie system. But I don't think they can be anything more than that. If they want to be more than a playoff contender this year, one of these guys has to take the ball and run with it because it's not going to happen. And and we saw it a couple of years ago where Brian Elliott was lights out stellar in January and February, and then the playoffs rolled around and everything went off the rails. Right. I mean, I guess the thing is, is that there is, yeah, I guess... As you mentioned, the Matt Murray and Flurry, there there is that thing. But I feel like nowadays, uh, like Grubauer and Holtby last year, um, you know, uh, especially now, like I think that's the one of the main examples. And Murray and Flurry a couple of years ago, um, there are other examples. I'm just not blanking on them now. But I think that it is possible to have like two goalies, like especially nowadays with all these back to backs and, uh, you know, sh there's more shooting involved. Um, I think, uh, you know, it, it's it's vital to have uh, two very good goalies um, at the same time. Um, so, so I think. It, I think it, the one A and one B can work, um, as opposed. Can it work in the playoffs though? That's the question. Yeah, I, I think it, I. I mean, it did. A few times, like we we saw with with Murray and and we saw it with Murray and, and Flurry, like you said a couple of years ago with Pittsburgh. But yeah, there were times where like uh, you but, look at um, the that, Hamburglar during that Sens run. True. Um, he, he had that great run. They lost the first two games. They went to Craig Anderson. He played great. Yeah. But they couldn't overcome it, and they lost in six games. Right. But, like, uh, like la take last year's Caps team. Grubauer started the first three games, and then uh, they lost the, you know, they lost those games. 
And then uh, they had to put in Holpe because it's like, why not? You're about to lose in the first round. So they put in Holpe in and then Holpe takes over. Um, and that, that was a similar type of thing happened with Flurry and Matt Murray. Flurry was dominant for the first two rounds. Um, I believe it was their first cup run. And then, uh, then during the conference finals, he started to show, you know, um, how, like, you know, what his old self was. And then in comes Matt Murray, and Matt Murray is able to steal the show. So I, I think it is possible. I wouldn't necessarily say that, like, it's the, like, it's the reason why they, um, they can't win. Um, I think there's other reasons uh, necessarily because I don't. I'm not. I think there is. You could make a case that both of them are inconsistent throughout. So I'm not necessarily sure. Like, and none of them are up to the echelon of what uh, we know. Uh, though, like um, what Holtby and Murray and Flurry are capable of, but. Um, so I think you could make a case that we're not sure how consistent they can be or how um, if they can make a sustainable run down in the playoffs. But it is possible. It's just um, it's just tough, you know. Um, and then the other thing that we're going to talk about here, um, I guess this is an ex- I was joking with Steve that this is like an extended are they for real section for us here on the Flames. But uh the other thing was uh, the top line has uh, one of the big reasons the Flames have been so well good of late is the, their top line. Um, as, as we know, of course, Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monaghan have been a team, a dynamic duo for years. Um, and now they finally have that uh, third piece uh, to help them um, in their in their quest uh, or in their... Um, you know, as a, as a trio, um, in Elias Lindholm. Um, and, uh, they got him in a trade for care from Carolina. Uh, Goudreau has 39 points. Monaghan has 35 and Lindholm has 34. Um, all they've all played 31 games. I don't know if you've seen this, but Johnny Goudreau has this purple Gatorade. And so whenever they, um, whenever one of those teams like whenever their line scores Johnny Gaudreau like squirts a little like purple Gatorade into their mouth on the bench afterwards which I think is kind of funny yeah yeah, it's like a magic potion it's kind of like a good luck charm maybe it's it's kind of a it's kind of a weird thing but kind of like a cool superstition they have um also uh so I found some other we have some advanced statistics here we hardly we usually never really do some advanced statistics but i have some here uh first off johnny um so of the past 10 games uh the this calgary this line uh top line of goudreau sean monahan and elias lindholm they have 21 points um in the last in the past 10 games that puts them fifth among lines um at even strength um, of course, Colorado has the top one with Rantanen, McKinnon, and Landeskog. Uh, Columbus has the second one, which is kind of surprising, uh, with Panarin, Dubois, and Atkinson. Um, I, I guess, uh, Tampa Bay and Toronto have the, uh, third and fourth. 
Um, but yeah, um, and then I also found um, even more advanced uh, that uh, in the thir 350 minutes together as a line, which is a pretty good sample size, uh, John, Johnny Gaudreau, Sean Monaghan, and Elias Lindholm have controlled 57.6% of sh shot attempts, 56.3% of scoring chances, and 51.7% of high danger opportunities. Um, it's also 61.7% uh, of their starts are in the offensive zone. So uh, Bill Peters is putting uh, the Flames... The, this line in a chance to uh, secede. All of those stats that I just said are are normally pretty high, um, uh, more than average, I should say, um, than what they used to do. Um, like last year, um, the Goudreau Monahan Furlin line controlled fifty three point nine percent, and then to reiterate, this year. Um, this chance, uh, you know, they had, um, hold on, uh, I'm confused now. Uh, oh, uh, this year uh, it's 57, so about a 4% difference. Uh, but anyways, all that to say that uh, this line has been really good. Elias Lindholm has made a huge impact in their, in their lineup, clearly. Um, other things to note, uh, Matthew Kachuk has uh, 33 points in 31 games. He's been really good. Um, he's been a kind of a potster, as they say. Uh, Mark Giordano um, has 29 points in 29 games. Michael Backlund um, has 17 points in 29 games. And Noah Hannafin has kind of gotten going. Um, I remember back in the, he has, uh, 14 points in 31 games. I remember back in, uh, when this trade happened to get Hannah Finn and Elias Lindholm, I was thinking like, you know, Dougie Hamilton was the best player, but it does seem like Elias Lindholm and Noah Hannafin has fit this team better than Dougie Hamilton has. Um, so I found that kind of interesting too. So any, any thoughts you have? Um, I assume you have more facts than I have that I said already. So, um, I, full credit to Elias Lindholm, and I, I, um, I was, I was flashing back to um, some of the comments that uh, Brad Treliving uh, made um, in the off season that Elias Lindholm had some pop in his game, and he was ready for a breakout year, and. I'll give full credit to Treliving. He's been right so far. I yep. mean, point of game player near the top twenty scores. Monahan's been the same. Uh, one of the dangerous, one of the most dangerous guys uh, from the slot in the NHL this year. Um, Matt Kachuk has had a good year. Um, probably the one thing that hasn't gone right is James Neal, but I think it's largely because um, he isn't getting the opportunities that Elias Lindholm is getting. Like if, if Elias Lindholm wasn't getting the opportunities to, to succeed, James Neal would be getting that. And I think if you put James Neal, much like Elias Lindholm, if you put James Neal in the top line, I think he puts up pretty good numbers with the likes of, uh, Monaghan and, uh, Johnny hockey. But I think the reason Elias Lindholm has been able to do so well is because, well, one thing is age. He's younger than James Neal. Um, but I think he's also got a bit more of a, uh, 
he's got a bit more of an edge to his game as far as speed and skill. Um, I think James Neal's a bit more banged up than Lindholm is. And I think Lindholm has kind of benefited from that. He just fits the line better. And I think that's why uh, James Neal isn't getting the results right now. But when you look at Elias Lindholm and Sean Monaghan, what you're thinking about is all of these guys are having great years. All these guys are having career years. What's causing all of that? And I think it goes back to Johnny Hockey every single time. And once again, I can't believe I'm saying this, but he's taking his game to another level. It seems every single year he keeps getting faster. He keeps getting stronger. He, he keeps getting better. Um, taking a look at what Johnny Hockey has provided, fifth in offensive zone puck possession per game, a minute three, nine seconds behind Connor McDavid. Uh, controlled zone entries, second overall with 261. That's 21 shy of McDavid for the league lead. Slot pass completions, 104 of those, tied for first with Nikita Kucherov. And he's a top 10 NHL scorer. And this is a guy last year that picked up 84 points in 80 games, which is pretty good. But he's he's standing up right now to besting those numbers somehow. And uh, if you look at his month-by-month -month stats, um, he scored a point in 10 of 13 October games, six goals, 16 points, six power play points, a four-game pointless skid in early November, kind of slowed him down a bit, still made up for it, still finished with 13 points in 13 November games. And December rolls around, and he just lights the place on fire. Four multi-point games in a row to start the month of December. The last two times he's been held pointless, Calgary's been shut out in both of those games. And in his first five games of December, Johnny Hockey has two goals and 10 points. Yeah, that's so pretty good. when you look at that and you consider that in 18 of the games he has played in, he's appeared in at least 20 minutes of actual game action. When you consider that he has 11 multi-point games on the campaign, you really get to see just how important Johnny Hockey is to this team. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I think we all knew that Johnny Hockey was, you know, good. Uh, he's an elite player. Um but yeah, no, he has taken his game to the next level, um, as cliche as that sounds. Uh, do we think this is? Um, do we think this is sustainable? Question, isn't it? Like, yeah, we we take a look at some of the off-season acquisitions that they made. They got Derek Ryan, they got Austin Zarnick, they got Lindholm and Hannafin, who um, looked like they could be something, but it wasn't all glamorous. Like, right. the biggest name that they got in at the time was James Neal, and yeah. um, he hasn't really lived up to the money he's been making, like I said before. Right. So everyone's thinking, well, surely at some point things are going to fall off the rails. And, uh, well, maybe not fall off the rails, but... Um, they're going to regress a little bit. Yep. But like I said, when you look at Johnny Hockey and his possession numbers, his crazy possession numbers, if they're still dominating in that category, they're still getting chances to score. They're probably going to get more goals as a result of that. 
So if they're not getting better, they're at least staying at the same pace that they are. So long as the puck possession numbers continue to be where they are right now, because the more time you have with the puck, the more team, the the more time the other team doesn't have the puck, and that's right. good for Calgary. Yeah, uh, that's true. I guess. Yeah, I think you do bring up a good point in, in that they did bring in James Neal, and he was their biggest acquisition but it also seems like you know especially Elias Lindholm and Noah Hannafin those guys have been um, even better than what we all thought they were going to be so um, so maybe if those guys can continue their 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 pace um, I'm not I know David Riddick had a decent season last year and Mike Smith got injured towards the end of last year. So it is tough to say. So I think my only concern for them is their goaltending. Because uh, there is a chance that neither one... Like, it seems like Mike Smith started off slow. And then he's finally got it together. And then the opposite could be said for David Riddick. So I, I, am, I do wonder what's going to happen if uh, both of these goalies... Uh, fall apart at the same time. Um, and that's what I'm not sure. Um, and kudos to Bill Peters. Cause I, I remember thinking like, Oh, this was a mistake to uh, put in Bill Peters in in case. Cause it felt like Carolina wasn't that good of a team last year, but now it seems like, you know, the opposite is true where Carolina um, is kind of in disarray in a sense. Um, and uh, Calgary is uh, better than they were beforehand. So, um, so at the moment, it seems like uh, Bill Peters kind of that that whole trade of getting Elias Lindholm and Noah Hannafin has been better than uh, what Carolina got out of it, which is Dougie Hamilton and Michael Ferland. Not that Michael Ferland or Dougie has been bad either, but anyways. <laughs> um, my point was I didn't mean to shit on the the hurricanes just now, but the 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 anyways the point was is that the flames um they'll probably make the playoffs. I'm not sure I guess the goaltending would just be my main concern. Um not just in the playoffs, but um in, they might get a wild card, I think. I think San Jose and Anaheim have started to figure things out so i think they'll they'll be better i'm not sure if calgary will get the wild card or they'll get the third spot but i think they'll be in the playoffs mm. uh, I, I i don't know if they're gonna win the division though yeah because there there are still a lot of talented teams in the west and and you look at connor mcdavid and the oilers all of a sudden they're starting right. to learn how to win hockey games again so i i don't know if, yeah, if uh, the odds are good that they'll win the division but it's definitely reassuring that uh, their plan is working yeah yeah i guess i guess that's fair edmonton's also in the mix too and so is vegas um we don't know about yeah. vancouver vancouver and arizona seem to be the true wild cards but at the same time it does seem like the pacific is a weak division um so yeah like just because they have vancouver la and arizona um 
who are bound to, you know, <laughs> they definitely have some weak links in their in their uh, system. So, um, yeah, I, I could see them making the playoffs. I'm not necessarily sure um, what place they'll get, though. Um, I think we can both agree, though, that in terms of a wild card, I think both wild card spots are going to be in the central um, inside of the Pacific. Um, but yeah, I, I could, I think it's sustainable, but maybe not this good, um, will be my final, uh, take on that. Um, Montreal, let's go to the, are they for real section? Um, Montreal is our first team that we're going to talk about. They are 15, 11 and five. That puts them fit, uh, yeah, fifth in the uh, division. I believe if the playoffs were today, they would make the playoffs, if that is correct. Um, yeah, they would get the second wild card. Um, they, uh, this is, speaking of off-season uh, moves that we didn't think would work, uh, how about that Max Domi? Uh, he has 31 points um, in 31 games. He's been incredible. Uh, same with uh, Thomas Tatar. He has been great too. Uh, 24 points in 31 games. Jonathan Druen, who is the uh, who is an offseason uh, move last last season, um, he seems to have uh, been uh, really good this year uh, with uh, 26 points in 31 games. Um, some other players of note: um, Jeff Petrie has 22 points in 31 games. Uh, Brandon Gallagher has 19 points, 13 goals. Um, Andrew Shaw has 18 points in 27 games. Um, Jespery caught Kanemi, who was the uh, 2018 third overall pick. Uh, he, and he, we, the Habs got some slack for that, but it looks like he's been, uh, he's shown some flashes of, of what he's capable of. He has 15 points in 31 games. Um, Arteri Lequinen has 16 points, uh, Deneau has 15 points, and then the last one who I'll mention is Shea Weber. Um, since he's returned, uh, so seven games ago, so in seven games he has five points, three of them are goals, and two of them are assists. Um, I also forgot to mention that Max Domi has 14 goals, um, which I remember last year he had like three goals. He was very unlucky, and this year it seems like the goals are keep on coming for him. So that's nice to see. Um, as for goalies, Carey Price um, hasn't been as great as we uh, as we know him a couple of years ago, but um, but he is, he does have a winning record. He's 11, 8, and 4 with a 2.89 GAA and a save percentage of 9.04 and an anti-Niemi. Um, their backup has played in eight games. He's four, three, and one, uh, with a four point fourteen GAA and a save percentage of eight seventy six. So, both goalies uh, could be better, uh, but it it does seem like their forwards and defensemen are you know getting points, um, and that I find that kind of interesting because you know for years it was always Carey Price has been you know has been holding this team on their back carrying their team on their back. Um, and now it seems like the opposite is true here where Carey Price hasn't been as good and the team uh, as a whole has been uh, has been decent enough and has been pretty good. 
Yeah, uh, I think a lot of people thought with an aging Jay Weber and a team that is still reliant on Carey Price, that wouldn't even be in the conversation of will they make the playoffs this year. Um, but they're outside the NHL's top 10 in the month of December. I mean, 95 goals for, for that. Um, um goal per game, 12th shots against on average per game, which is respectable. Um, but if you look at their specialty teams, <laughs> it's terrible. Um, 59 power play. Um, only eight power play goals to show for it. The Sens have 17 on home ice this year, and they're not expected to do much of anything in the standings. Um, the team below 15%. Penalty kill, not much better. Um, they've spent the seventh most time shorthanded. Penalty kill away for all. They're six worse in the league at 76%. Um, but what they're not getting on the power play, they're getting on even strength. They're a top three team in even strength goals. And I guess that's not necessarily a bad thing, considering that power play and penalty kill will only take you so far. You need to be a good even strength team to be successful in this league. And I will give the Habs credit. When Shea Weber returned... Um, their game went up a level. Yep. Um, in the first five games with Shea Weber as captain, they scored 17 goals for, 11 goals against, 214 shots on goals, so that's an average of 43 per game, and 124 shots against, so that's an average of just under 25 shots against per game. Um, individually, Weber got points... Uh, in a lot of those games that uh, he got four points in those five games plus four rating 16 shots um average toi about 25 minutes and he was averaging around 3.4 hits per game during those five games um one of the players that also benefited from shea weber coming back was carrie price who had a gaa below 2.5 a save percentage around 920 in uh, the first six games with Weber as captain. Um, but once again, you look at the Habs, you look at the amount of aging experience that they have on defense, you look at the amount of youth that they have. They, they, I think they have a perfect blend of youth and they have the perfect blend of veteran leadership. The problem is putting all of that together. And I just don't know if the Montreal Canadiens are consistent enough to put all of that together because you look at got you got you look at guys like Jonathan Druin, a formidable duo. Yep. But at the same time, they have their inconsistencies. Um, Carey Price has inconsistencies this year. Thomas Tatar, who a lot of people didn't expect to put up 24 points in his first 31 games. He's still a relatively inconsistent player. Andrew Shaw has been a pleasant surprise for the Habs, but how long can he keep that up? Um, Brendan Gallagher leads the team with 112 shots on goal. How much longer are they going to rely on him to produce for them? And 
youngsters like Harkiniemi and Lekkonen, they're sure bringing a lot of positive vibes to the team, but they're young players. They're still learning. So I can't really look at this Habs team seriously and think they're a playoff contender. Not yet, anyway. Yeah, I I think they're going to be on the bubble the entire um, season. Um, Especially when you look at Buffalo and what they've done, and yeah. of course Tampa and Toronto and Boston are all going to be yeah. right there. Well, so, I, like, I was just gonna, getting to that. They're going to have to get a wild card spot, probably. Yeah, I, I was getting to that, especially considering the division that they're in. Um, however, I don't know if they're like I don't. I'm not gonna like. I'm not ready to necessarily write them off just yet. Um, I think it is like I I've been impressed by Max Domi, Thomas Tatar. Um, I thought that wasn't gonna work, but it's, it does seem like you know they found their game. Um, and we know what they're capable of. Um, I've also been impressed by Kotki Nemi. So. Kudos to uh, Mark Bergevin. I guess he knows what he's doing instead of uh, us being uh, backseat uh, or armchair GMs. Armchair GMs, yeah. Yeah, I was trying to – I was blanking on the expression there. Uh, yeah. So so kudos to him on those three players particularly. Um, however, I don't know – like it doesn't seem like they have a ton of depth um Shea Weber has has been uh you know good for them of course I'm not sure though like if maybe they get someone in the depth like during the trade deadline to get someone for a bit more depth um that would be a bigger concern I am also concerned about Carey Price now uh it is kind of concerning that I mean nine oh four isn't terrible or anything, but it's not great either. Um, especially when we know what he's capable of. Like this guy won the heart uh, solely because he was like he was the only player on the team. This te- like you know Carey Price even put the the Habs on the map in the first place. They went to the Eastern Conference Finals one year uh, purely because of Carey Price. So, um, or mostly because of Carey Price, I should say. So I think um, there is something to, um, I, I do wonder maybe Carey Price is still a little bit injured. Um, so I am more concerned about their goaltending just in the long term of things. Um, but like we know that what Carey Price is capable of, I do want, I just want to see it happen. Of course, since I don't like this team, I don't want to see it happen. But I, I think I'll be truly scared once Carey Price finds his game, or if he finds his game, I should say. Like coming against your Boston Bruins, like it always does. <laughs> exactly. It. Uh, so, um, so that that would be the concern. If I were a Habs fan, I'd be concerned about Carey Price. That's all I'm gonna say about that. Uh, <laughs> I do think though it'd be good for the NHL. Like it's 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 kind of like in baseball. Like it's good if the Yankees and the Red Sox are good because then yeah. there's more flavor to the rivalry. So it, it would be good for like the Leafs and the Habs or right. um, the Habs versus the Bruins if Carey Price is on his game because right. at least you're getting good entertaining hockey when Carey yeah. Price is not on his game. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. 
Um, moving on, Edmonton is uh, our next team. Uh, we briefly mentioned them before, but uh, now that they have their... Oh, no, is it Edmonton? It's Vegas. Sorry, it's Vegas. No, it's Vegas. Uh, I got confused here. Uh, it's, Vegas. It's... it's, it's <laughs> I was close. Yeah, it's one play, one team below them, or above them, in the standings. Yeah, in a Western time zone too. Exactly. Uh, anyways, Vegas. Uh, <laughs> now I have to refigure out this the stuff here. Okay, so Vegas has um, a record of 17, 14, and one, which uh, thirty five points. They are fifth in their division. Uh, behind Edmonton, um, they would not be making the playoffs if the if the playoffs were to happen today. Uh, they are uh, just oh they're tied with Dallas um, in the playoffs race uh, for the second wild card. I guess Dallas has the tiebreaker because they have two games in hand ahead of Vegas. Um, so um, that's probably a part of it. Anyways. Uh, Vegas has been an interesting team of late, uh, cause you know, they started the season off pretty slow. Um, it kind of, they kind of showed why they, you know, there were, it's like, oh, okay. So this, this is the time where, um, where teams start to, you know, figure out what Vegas is about. You know, we gave them a season, then they started winning. Uh, they had a five game, a six game win streak um in uh towards the end of november um they've started uh winning ever every now and then uh nate schmidt is back um which has been a help help to them um he's been good but a couple of the guys to uh note uh william carlson has 23 points of 30 in 32 games uh 10 goals um, cause I remember that was a big thing that like, we weren't sure if he was going to get 40 goals again. Um, he had, uh, Jonathan Marchessault has 23 points with 11 goals. Alex Tuck has been pretty good, uh, with 22 points in 24 games. Um, which is good. Uh, Riley Smith has 21 uh, points in 32 games. Uh, six of those were goals. Um, Max Pacioretty also started slow but it seems like he's picked it up he has 18 points in 27 games uh 10 of those are goals uh colin miller has been pretty good 14 points in 32 games shea theodore has 18 points um and then lastly nate schmidt um where is he oh nate schmidt has five points in 12 games um so he's it doesn't seem like a lot, but he's he's made a difference as well. Uh, in terms of goals, uh, in terms of in net, um, Mark Andre Fleury has is seventeen ten and one, uh, with a nine oh eight save percentage and a two point five one GAA. Malcolm Subban hasn't played a ton, um, but in his five games that he has played, he's o four and o. I guess, oh, I guess he uh, came in relief uh, to flurry one of those times. But he has a crazy statistic. Um, he's four, he has a 4.02 GAA and a save percentage of 859, um, which is not good. Um, so uh, no wonder 
but it does you know the interesting thing about the knights is is that although their stats that i just read off don't reflect it um it does seem like they are figuring things out um they are you know in their last 10 games they're eight two and oh um they you know it does seem like tuck um and schmidt have been able to uh, get things going when they've returned um so has um, Max Pacioretty since he came back from injury so um, you know they, they have some things that are, are working for them um, of course they also don't have Paul Stasny um, I think he's he's set to return in January if I'm not mistaken um, so uh, so that should be a big uh, plus for them when he returns but at the same time um, I don't know. I think they'll they'll be a bubble team too. I'm not sure if they'll make the playoffs though, um, just because though you know the central division <clears throat> is so tough, uh, where they'll probably get the two wild card spots, and um, and I'm not sure if Vegas is one of the top three teams in the Pacific. Yeah, if, if we we go back to the turning point of the season to at least today right now is the return of Nate Schmidt. That's kind of what sparked this whole comeback. And I wouldn't even call it a comeback because I thought Vegas was going to be a playoff team from the beginning of, at least I'm pretty sure I yeah. did. Um, I, I just didn't buy them going outside the playoff picture just because they still have a lot of the guys from the dream team that uh, they had last year, the team that could do no wrong. Since the return of Nate Schmidt, as of Tuesday morning, the Knights were 9-3-0, owning the second-best record in the league behind the Tampa Bay Lightning during that stretch. Uh, they had a power play over 25% during this period of time, and they scored the second-most goals and generated the six-most shots as a result. The penalty kill, however, did take a dive. Um, it's around 77 or 78% during this stretch. Um, but since Schmidt's return, and this is probably the one thing they have spent the fourth longest amount of time shorthanded. So when you spend time in the penalty box, probably less time with the puck in, in their zone and more time with the puck in your end, trying to make sure it doesn't go in your net. And I think that's going to limit the amount of damage that Vegas can do if they spend a lot of time in the penalty kill. So they need to fix that moving forward. But you look at how well individual players have done since the return of Nate Schmidt. Max Pacioretty, eight goals and 14 points in 11 games since Nate Schmidt came back in the lineup. William Carlson, who started off slow, six goals and nine points in his last 12 games. Colin Miller, eight points in his last 12 games, their best defenseman besides Nate Schmidt last year. Shea Theodore, 12 points in his last 10 games, another key member of the Knights' offense that struggled out of the gate. Alex Tuck, 12 points in 11 games, awesome to see. Yep. Cody Eakin, nine points in 12 games. Riley Smith, seven power play points. A lot of those guys have been good guys and they need more of the same if they're going to specifically 
if I was to pinpoint it down to two keys to success for Las Vegas moving forward, William Carlson and Max Pacioretty need to score. That's one. Two, they need to be more disciplined. If they get both of those done and if Fleury keeps playing well, they're going to be a playoff team. No question about it. I don't know if they're going to be a top three team in their division, but they'll be a playoff team. I don't know. I, I still don't think they'll be a playoff team, but um, I guess that's why they play the games. <laughs> um, we'll see. Uh, Andre Fleury has five shutouts. Yeah, but I mean, he's also 33 years old. Um, so, <laughs> and he also. Yeah, Matt Murray, and Matt Murray isn't even 30, and yeah. he's injured and not like himself. So. And also, Malcolm Subban has not been good. So. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I will. I will also say that three, they need to give Flurry a break and Subban yep. needs to step up because um, I, I, I will say that the workload uh, for Marc-Andre Flurry does concern me. If we get into January, February, March, and this continues to be a theme, um, then I would be a bit concerned. So yeah, Malcolm Subban is at some point going to have to answer the bell. Yep. And he hasn't lately. So. Uh, speaking of goaltending, uh, let's go to the rapid fire uh, to start things off. It looks like it appears that Antti Ranta may not play again this season. There's a chance he may not. I should reiterate that it's a chance. Uh, John Chaka, the GM, said that Ranta had a procedure for his lower body injury and the damage was more extensive than originally thought. Um, he also confirmed that there's a possibility that he may be done for the year. Uh, but for now, he is out indefinitely. So... Um, yeah, this is a huge blow to the Coyotes. Um, this was, you know, I kind of had Ranta as a Vezina Trophy uh, winner. Um, so I thought he was, you know, but um, it does seem like Aiden Hill has been able to, um, he has been playing out of his mind lately. So uh, there's that. And also Darcy Kemper is back. In the mix, so those two will be the guys, and they also picked up Calvin Picard. I forget if we mentioned that before on the show or not, uh, but yeah, so Calvin Picard is also in their system too. But at the same time, this this has got to be a huge blow to the Coyotes because Ranto was one of the reasons why I thought, and I think most people thought that uh, the Coyotes could make some noise this year, uh, purely because Ranta has been so good in the second half of last season. So. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think, uh, I don't know. I think this is a, this is a huge blow for them. Yeah, it definitely is a, a huge loss. Um, but when you take a look at Ranta's stats, it, you had a feeling that something didn't look True. right. Uh, maybe they yep. rushed him back too soon. 2.88 goals against average. Um, so his goals against average went up by 0 0.64 compared to last year. Uh, his save percentage went down by 0 0.024 points this year compared to last year. This year it's at uh, 906. And his record, 5-6-0, and 0, um, definitely didn't look like the dominant anti-Ranta that we saw. And uh, he, he had battled a, an injury before. They put him back. He didn't do so well. And then he got uh, put on the IR once again. And I think... The bigger blow to the Arizona Coyotes would be having Antti Ranta out longer term past this season. Yeah. And that's the thing that uh, general manager John Chayka emphasized. Long term wise, his health is looking great. Short term this year, he might have to suffer and not play a ton. 
or not even play at all. Mm -hmm. But if it means longer term he's healthy and he's helping the team, I definitely take that. And uh, for anyone saying, well, they're probably going to trade for a goalie, um, John Chaka said they're going with their in-house options. So Calvin Pickard, Darcy Kemper, and Aiden Hill, those are the guys that are going to be uh, leaning on moving forward. And you talk about Aiden Hill, uh, who got his first career NHL win last year, uh, played meaningful minutes in the AHL after that. Uh, In his first seven appearances this year, five starts, 4-2-0 record, 1.62 goals against average. So nine goals against in his seven uh, appearances this year. Yep. 9.39 save percentage. And uh, he has looked human in his past two outings, but yeah. in his defense, it was against San Jose and Washington, who have offense galore yeah. on both lines. What I find so. impressive is that, is that we mentioned you mentioned that he has nine goals against, but seven of those goals were the last two games against yeah. San Jose and Washington. Exactly. So uh, that's that's pretty good. He's been playing out of his mind. I'm not. Sh- I, 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 it does seem like he's. He's going to slide a bit. Um, he didn't even play last night against the Bruins, but um, so. But I, I do like. So far, it's pretty good, though. I, I don't know if we can say for sure uh, what we expect of him, but um, it and, does and seem like they're in good hands. Kind of the other thing, as much as it sucks to lose Anti Ranta for yeah. the Arizona Coyotes, you get to see what other assets you have and what yep. other assets that you need. And if this injury means you get to see what Aniel is capable of, and if he can be a capable backup for Anti Ranta, then that's a win for the Coyotes right yep. there. Or maybe if he's good enough, maybe he could steal the, the job. Um, we'll see. But yeah, I, maybe they can have a one A one B goalie system yeah. in Arizona next year. Possibly, you yeah. Well, you never know. It's true. Uh, the Ducks injury list uh, continues um, to grow. Uh, like always, it, it it seems like clockwork, basically. Like yeah, Nima, I think there are three yeah. guarantees: death, taxes, and an Anaheim Ducks injury. Exactly. In every single time we do the injury section. Exactly. So uh, this time it uh, it's a big one. Uh, Ricard, well, we have two big ones, but one's bigger than the other one. Uh, Ricard Raquel has a injury to his sprained ankle. Uh, he it says that he's day to day, but it it. I would imagine he's out indefinitely because uh, he hasn't yeah, even skated yet. When, when uh, they updated uh, their injury list yesterday, they said there's no timetable for a Ricard Raquel yep. return. So, uh, yeah, I would say out indefinitely is more accurate okay. than day-to-day at this point. Ryan Miller, uh, he is a backup to Gibson, uh, but he, he has a knee injury. He sprained his MCL. Um, yep. It's estimated that he'll be sidelined for about six weeks. So, uh, that means, yeah, he, uh, yeah. the plan is to reevaluate him in two weeks. He could miss up to as much as six weeks. Yeah. And just taking a look at his stats, his GAA is 2.72, 922 save percentage. Yeah, that's though. pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, and they also acquired uh, Chad Johnson. So it looks like, um, Chad Johnson will be the backup to John Gibson. Yeah. Um, something tells me Doug Armstrong is shaking his head because this was the guy that was supposed to be right. filling in uh, the backup shoes for Jake Allen after Carter Hutton left, and yeah. now he's lost him for nothing. Yeah, that's a good point. Although I guess like Chad Johnson hasn't been great this year either. So no, um, he hasn't. He hasn't. So. He absolutely hasn't. But I I don't 
something tells me he wasn't a good fit in St. Louis. Yeah. And but uh, maybe I mean, a change of scenery will do him some good. But. Yeah, true. Although I don't know if it's necessarily like it's gonna he's gonna light it up this year either. Yeah. If he doesn't light it up, then maybe you draw the conclusion. Well, maybe his best years are behind him. But right. That hasn't happened yet. So right. Right. It's too early. So. Um. Some other things. Uh, Anthony Mantha. Is that? I guess that's how you. Pre- that's his first yep. name. For some reason, I thought it, it was another name. I, didn't, I guess I always refer to him as Mantha. I didn't realize that yeah. was his first no, name. Right. Mantha uh, sidelined for four to six weeks due to a hand injury. Um, also, uh, let's see the other ones. Jordan Stahl. Um, Jordan Stahl is, uh, has a concussion, so he's, uh, he's going to be uh, out indefinitely. And then uh, I just saw here that Kevin Shattenkirk has a shoulder injury, so he's out two to four weeks. Um, so that's okay. um, that's kind of inter- I kind of ex- that makes some kind of sense because I saw that like Neil Pionk was on the power play um, instead of Shattenkirk when Shattenkirk was healthy. So uh, that kind of uh, checks out. If if Sh- I wonder if Shattenkirk has been injured uh, this entire season and. Well, yeah, and, and, and you kind of wonder because, like, he was sometimes on the third defensive pairing, which yeah. is about as low as you can go for defensive pairings without being scratched right. from the team. So you wonder, you know, was this more of, you know, David Quinn uh, teaching Shattenkirk this more of a ling- lingering injury? Like, how long was right. this injury known for? And it's it's kind of surprising, too, because David Quinn used to be his college coach, so... Yeah. Um, so it, it, maybe that that was more of a tell that like oh he's he's injured again. Same thing happened last year too, where uh, Shannon Kirk uh, wasn't as good, um, and then all of a sudden they showed that he was going to miss the entire season. Uh, so uh, so yeah, so he's he's also injured. Um, and then uh, let's see here. Okay, so then we'll end this uh, rapid fire, or actually I think we have. I think we, oh okay we have an hour we are an hour in um so two big uh hits happen um since we've been gone i know it's been a while but uh zach hyman gets two games for his blindside hit on charlie mcavoy um it was like two games since uh, mcavoy was back in his return but uh yeah it was uh it was I was so furious. I know the Bruins were up like six to three at that point, but I was like, it just, was uh, six two, but yeah, six two. score. I was, was in the third period. Yeah, so I was, it, looked, it looked like Boston was going to, but win. like, like uh Hyman, like hit, hit McAvoy, like about a second after McAvoy hit, the, had the puck. And I was just and, like, and McAvoy was still looking at yeah. the puck when they made. So and it was like clear, yeah. like Hyman, Hyman knew that what he was doing. McAvoy is like it's pretty public knowledge that McAvoy has has had a is recovering from a concussion, and he's and he just came back from the as a result of concussion exactly, too. exactly. So it, 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 I was just furious at Zach Hyman. He was he's on top of my list. It's like Matt Cook, and then uh, maybe like third is Zach Hyman. <laughs> this is probably the kind of stuff that yep. resulted in me hating the least in the early 2000s. Yes. Unnecessary cheap shots like that. Yeah. 
Um, and then, uh, so then he got two games. I'm fine with that suspension. I, I, I didn't like expect like a 20 game suspension for that, but, uh, two games seems about right. Um, and then when I was looking online, I saw this, that like a lot of the Leafs fans were like commenting that like, oh, Hyman's not going to get anything because Ryan Reeves didn't get anything for almost the same thing he did on Tom Wilson. Um, right. And I mean, yeah, I guess you you have a point there where I was like, well, maybe they they have a point in terms of consistency, where like the the department of play we've been talking about this forever, where the you know the like it's fine if you get suspended for that hit that hit, uh, Ryan Reeves should should have gotten suspended for that too, um I think, um but at the same time you know you have to keep it consistent so. Either you yeah. get, you know, you get suspended for that kind of hit or you don't get hit, suspended for that kind of hit. Um, and um, it's it's more like it seemed like maybe it was just the Department of Player Safety saying like, well, it's McAvoy versus like Tom Wilson, who's a known, um, <laughs> not, not a great person, uh, has not, doesn't have a great... Um, maybe that has something to do with it. Like the victim is my point. Um, so, so there's that. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, what are your thoughts? So, um, just taking a look at how Zach Hyman responded, uh, to it on Tuesday. He said, I think the play is out there. I think everyone can interpret it the way they want it. And that's what it is. We play hard against him hard against the Bruins. They play hard against us. It's hockey. I play hard. I play the way I play. I'm going out there and doing my job. It is what it is. I'm just doing my job. Well, I can appreciate that you're doing your job and you're trying to make it seem like you're not going to be pushed around because at least have a lot of skilled players and you know, you, you don't want to get the persona that you're going to just sit there and take whatever punishment comes your way. Like, by all means, stand up for yourself. By all means, you know, make a hit to make a play. By all means, um, if you're getting uh, if you're getting tossed around um, and and you're not going to just sit there and take it, you know, get into a fight and stand up for yourself. I'm all when the guy's not expecting to get hit, when the guy is looking at the puck, when the guy doesn't have the puck, you need to realize, okay, I probably shouldn't make a hit here. I know I'm probably getting suspended. I know I'm putting this guy in an awkward position. And it's the exact same thing with Ryan Reeves and Tom Wilson. You look at the highlight pack from the Golden Knights and Capitals. It was a physical game. Yep. And between those two specifically, like early in the game, Tom Wilson made a big hit on Ryan Reeves. Good for right. you, Tom. Good for you. That's a good hit. Yeah. And then... Later on, on the same shift in a span of 10 seconds, destroys Tom Wilson twice. I have no problem with either of those two hits. But it's that particular hit, after all of that has happened, when Tom Wilson is not expecting to get drilled, where Ryan Reeves just comes in, and I will say this, Ryan Reeves made contact with Wilson's shoulder, not his head. Why he... But... You can still get hurt 
if you're not expecting to get hit and you fall head slash face first on the ice and get a concussion that way. Yep. And you look at Tom Wilson after the hit, he was pretty dazed. He needed help getting off of the ice. He was hurt on that play. Yep. That was still a suspendable hit. Ryan Reeves should have been suspended. And that is the dangerous slippery slope that you're going under because if you don't call it one way, then someone else is just going to be like, well, you didn't suspend the other guy for doing it, so you're not going to suspend me, right? Right. So, again, it's about the consistency, and we've preached this many times on this show. We just want to see consistency. Yep. We want to see if it's going to be called one way, when it happens again, exact same play, it's got to be called that way again. And yep. they need to make the right calls on this. And the right call wasn't made in the Reeves versus Wilson hit. The right call was made on uh, the Hyman McAvoy hit. But you need to be consistent because if your message is lost in translation, nobody's going to get it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, no, you're right. Uh, for sure. Um, yeah, I think consistency is the big thing here. I think, I think Reeves should have probably gotten suspended for that hit um regardless but it it does it is a little you know so i see the maple leafs point or the fans point on that but at the same time um i think both of them were pretty dirty hits because it's like a blindside hit like yeah regardless of what you think about tom wilson regardless of what uh, you think about the bruins and or charlie mcavoy um you know it's like you know they they were caught without like they weren't they didn't see uh hymen or reeves coming so i think yeah. um i think they should have been suspended for that but um, especially when you consider that sunquist um was not suspecting a hit from tom wilson right and tom wilson gets 20 games right there yeah maybe part of me thinks that there's a conspiracy where like the NHL didn't suspend Reeves for that just because, because Tom Wilson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That 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 could be it. Um, so we have a little bit of time before we get into Bruins sends, but uh, so the Canes bring up Scott Darling and the Islanders bring up Josh Hosang. Um, both of these guys were called down um like about a month ago. Um, I don't think Joshua Singh is going to play just yet. Um, it looks like he's going to be healthy scratch for the time being. But, um, yeah, it's uh, something to keep an eye on for sure. So the reason why Scott Darling was called up is because Curtis McElhaney is injured, okay. in case you're wondering. So it's Darling Morazic until McElhaney is ready to go. Uh, in the case of Joshua Singh, it's going to be interesting because last year it was – under Doug Waite, um, it was under different um, front office leadership. Um, it's basically another second chance for Josh Hossain to prove that he belongs in the NHL. And he had 12 points in 22 games with the Islanders last year. So I think he did a pretty decent job, offensively speaking, from uh, making an impact last year. He went down to the AHL, got 31 points in 50 games after his demotion. Um but you're only going to get so many second chances. I think he's had two already. And this could be his last shot with the New York Islanders. So he needs to really, really make a good first impression with Barry Trotz because I have impressions he's going to get. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I, don't, I think this is like his third or fourth chance with the team. So he definitely has talent for sure. Um, I just I don't know if he's necessarily a fit for the Islanders. Maybe yeah. he'll get traded. And, and I, I think it was the same maybe with Nino Niederreiter with the Islanders where he wasn't yeah. a fit there, but then he goes to Minnesota and he does okay. So Yeah, although I do remember... Maybe, like, maybe a change of scenery is what he needs, but... Yeah. Um, he's he's going to get another show at the Islanders. Hopefully he makes good on it because he's a very talented player. Sure. Um, he just needs to show that his character and his heart is in the right place. Yeah, I do remember like the first, his first stint, like he was actually decent. Um, I guess it's more of his, they're not happy with his defensive side of games, which is kind of crazy yeah. when you think it's, about it's it. It's not like he didn't show up on the first day of training camp and then they're just like, okay, you're done. You're back. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, he's definitely shown what he's capable of. It's just more like his other stuff um, that they're they're worried about, which is kind of weird when you think about it because, like, the Islanders don't really have great defense. Like, they're not known for that. So it is weird that they're, like, very they're very hard on Hossein for his defense um, and not on, on uh, other guys who uh, make defensive lapses too, so... Yeah, I don't know. I I think I I don't think their defense is being hung out to dry for the world to see like it was last year. Like last True. year, they were giving up like five yeah. or six goals a game numerous times, and that hasn't happened nearly but, as often this but year. But my so point is, is that everyone, it's not everyone thinks. Well, they haven't done that, so at least they're improving. True. Somewhat. But my point is, is that it's not like like Hossein was the reason for all those mishaps. Right, no. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, let's go to the Bruins send segment. I believe I'm first because you went first last yeah. week. Um, so we have a couple. We each have five games uh, to talk about, um, although one of them was when we played each other. So that that should be fun. Um, first off, some house cleaning things. Jamel, the Bruins claim Jamel Smith um, so that... Um, uh, I would, he was from the stars. I haven't heard too much about him beforehand, but so far watching him play, he's, he seemed to be a pretty good, like depth guy for, for the team. So I, I kind of liked what I've seen from him. I expect him to be like a third or fourth guy when everyone's healthy. Um, but yeah, he's, he's been like, it seems like even when he doesn't have the puck, you know, he's on the ice kind of thing. So, uh, so he could be a, a good impact player for us um, eventually, you know, during our playoff push and whatnot. Um, also, um, <laughs> I guess it's spoiler alert beforehand, but uh, Mac, Charlie McAvoy uh, returned um, and uh, he has made a big difference. It feels like he hasn't, uh, he doesn't have any points since he's returned. But he has, like, you know, he's blocked some shots. He's made some hits. Um, so I, I expect him to uh, get some points on the board pretty soon. But um, it is nice to see that uh, he's at least playing other than that blindside hit, which I was really angry about. So yeah. and, um, and, that's, and that definitely helps with the confidence thing. At least yeah. you're, you're doing something to help the team. Like Thomas Shabbat against Nashville the other night, he didn't get any points, but he had eight block shots in that game. Yeah, so uh, so that's all you can ask for is just as long as you're contributing. Even if you don't score, that's fine. But um, if you're making hits and if you're blocking, 
Uh, that's all I can ask for. Do you know? Yeah, and, and frankly, can... that's that's what gets you more beloved because right. you know you look at defensemen like Jake yeah. Gardner. Like if they're a one trick pony and they're and all they're known for score, then they're not doing anything. Well, right. that doesn't really up your team, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we'll get to that a little bit later when we talk about Krug and Krejci. But um, yeah, I think that's that's a big reason why Bruins fans and I like McAvoy more than Krug just because he uh, McAvoy is better at those other intangibles than Krug is. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let's go. Let's get to the games. Uh, Florida plays Boston. Uh, they shut them out. Uh, Florida shut Boston out. Um, so I actually don't remember this game at all, which just, just proves that I blocked it out. But I am going to mention it. Um yeah, Mike Hoffman had uh, two goals. Um, he's kind of he's. I guess he's more of a Bruins killer than we thought. Um, yeah, he had, he had nine shots in that game. I yeah. think probably where it really went off the rails was the second period. The Bruins had sixteen yep. shots in that period, but they had twenty shots against and four goals yep. uh, got by Halak. There, right. So. No, I was about to get to that. Yeah, four yeah. goals. Uh, Mike Hoffman had two of them. Huberdo and Mike Matheson. Uh, oh yeah, I remember the Meg Matheson one. That would seem kind of like it was a fluky thing. Um, it was like you know Matheson just shot it and it like just from like the blue line basically, um, and it, it went in. So that was that was annoying. Um, and then Dadenoff I uh, got a thir- uh, got the only goal in the third period. Um, yeah, this was one of those games where I was just like, okay, so <laughs> we're feeling the effects of. McAvoy didn't even join, wasn't even in that game, but that was like, okay, so this is what it's like without, like, this is like what the, this is why we need Bergeron and Chara in, in the, in the games. So, uh, exactly. Um, the second game, uh, we're going to talk about is the lightning. This one was a lot closer, um, than it seems, um, Tuga Rass was in net here. Um, David Pasternak got things going. He scored in the first. He scored the first goal. Uh, then Braden Point, because of course Braden Point scores uh, to tie things up in the first. I actually remember, I um, I missed David Pasternak's first goal, but I I was just coming home, so I watched the first the last five minutes of the first period. And then I see like, oh, Braden Point, of course he scores. And then I see like in the third period, like, and then I was watching the second period. I was like, all right, maybe we can get something going. Third period, uh, not great. Uh, Matthew Joseph it was a nice play. Uh, it was like a breakaway goal. Um, he gets, uh, he get, uh, he gets a goal there. Um, and then Anthony Sorelli. Um, so it was like. Um, he gets a shorthanded goal. It was, I think, it was pretty close nearby to when uh, those two goals were scored. Actually, two minutes. So, um, so yeah, um, the Anthony Sorelli one was kind of just really quick. It's just like, wait, we just they just scored, um, but and then Krejci gets a goal um, late, uh, but it's it's a little too late. Um, so the uh, Lightning win three two. Um, yeah, the uh, it, this kind of just showed that um, although McAvoy was back, he didn't get anything on the scoreboard, but he had two hits, one block. 
Um, but yeah, this kind of just showed that like the importance of having depth in your lineup. Um, and I thought that was an interest, you know, cause like Matthew Joseph and Anthony Sorelli, like who's heard of those, these guys and, uh, they end up making the difference, um, here. Um, so, um, so that's a big thing. Um, also, um, believe, I believe Jake DeBrusque got injured in that game. Um, it appears that he's day to day, um, but we'll see, um, I think he's expected to come back this week. So it, it may not be that serious, but he got injured in that game. Um, so we'll, we'll, I'll keep an eye on that. Um, and then in the third, uh, the Saturday game, I was like, okay, great. We're going to get killed by t- the Toronto. And quite the opposite um, happened. Uh, so JFK got his uh, f- a third goal of the season, um, which was a pretty nice goal. Um, he's been, uh, he's been, uh, making some moves lately. Uh, David Backus gets his third goal. Um, and then Tory Krug, did you know beforehand that this was Tory Krug's first goal of the season? Um, he's, huh, really? I know. Um, it's crazy. Uh, but yeah, he finally got going. Uh, Brad Marchand and Krejci got the assist there. Um, and then in the third period, we had... Uh, Danton Heinen scores. He's getting going. Ryan Donato got his first assist on that goal. Uh, then Travis Dermont got a goal. I think sometime around here was when Hyman hit uh, Charlie McAvoy, but we've already talked about that. So yeah, it was uh, when it was 6-2. 6-2. Okay, so that was, that's a little bit later then. Uh, so David Krejci uh, gets a goal. Then Ryan Donato gets a goal. Um, and then Austin Matthews gets a goal. So now it's 6-2. I remember th- what happened was, um, I believe it was, was it Krejci? It was one of the, I I, the, I think there was an earlier hit. Um, and then Hyman hit uh, McAvoy. And yeah, then... I, I think, I think, I remember, because they said, um, I don't know if it was McAvoy, oh. but a Bruin hit Marner. Yeah, that's they, right. I, they suspected that was retribution for that play. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, and then what happened was Matt Grizzlig started fighting Zach Hyman right after yeah. the, that Charlie McAvoy hit. Um, and uh, so Grizzlick gets a game misconduct, and so does Zach Hyman. And then here's when it goes gets crazy, because uh, Charlie Chris Wagner, like a minute later after like that that Charlie McAvoy hit. Uh, Chris Wagner starts to uh, fight Ron Hainsey, um, and they actually get into a fight, um, and then Chris Wagner gets charged, but Ron Hainsey doesn't get anything. So then all of a sudden, you get, or no, he gets charged for fighting, but uh, Chris Wagner gets the additional penalty of getting a charging he the penalty. Instigator, I guess. Yeah, he gets an instigator and a charging penalty, um, which is. So then all of a sudden the the Maple Leafs had were on the power play even though Zach Hyman had the the dirty hit to start things off. So it was it was kind of crazy. I was furious about that too. Where it's like how are they on the power play? <laughs> like they both they had a fight and like so Wagner gets charged an extra penalty for that. That was nuts. But uh so of course um did he leave his feet? Because I, I know that's a 
pivotal point when they called charging is did he leave his feet or not? Um, no, I mean, it was a fight. Like, Ron Ainsley also got charged for fighting too. But maybe you're right. Maybe it was like a, a misconduct for leaving his feet. But uh, it seems crazy just to charge him for charging when you're in a fight. Um, yeah. I mean, I understand penalizing him for fighting um, because Hainsey was also charged for fighting, but like also to additionally penalize him for charging, it seems kind of weird. Um, cause like, what are you supposed to do? Like not charge during a fight? Like it's it's you know? one thing, you know, if, if there's like a big scrum in front yeah. and you just like, no, it was an actual fight. Pile, like, yeah. like I would call charging there a hundred percent. No, but it was an actual fight. Like they were the only two players in that area, and like, yeah. and Hainsey dropped his gloves. So did, uh, um, uh, so did uh, Wagner. It's just, it's just weird to like just specifically penalize Wagner even more just for charging when you're in the middle of a fight. Like when you're in a yeah. fight, like the only penalty should be fighting. Yeah, that I guess that doesn't. Uh, I guess that's just adds fuel to the fire to all yeah. the people who say it's true, boys. Right, right, right. Anyways, the uh, the the Maple Leafs score on that power play, um, which of course they did. But luckily, the game was already in hand because it was six three at that point. Yeah, so. I think if it was like a one goal game, yeah. I think heads would roll and Jack Edwards I, would go on. on no, a no, no, I know. Rant. Well, Jack Edwards was infuriated about this Zach oh, Hyman, I'm sure he was. but yeah, like, regardless. and then, oh, and he was also infuriated. He was furious as well with this charging thing. I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Jack, Jack Edwards. Um, of course, <laughs> I'm with Jack Edwards, of course. But um, yeah, no, it was just, it was a crazy thing. It was one of those things that I'm happy we won, but then it just overshadowed it just because of those two things that happened afterwards with Hyman yeah. and and the charging penalty that we shouldn't even been uh, penalized and for. And that's, that's one thing that, that I'm always concerned about when it gets to that lopsided score. I'm just like, please, nobody bid, nobody get hurt. Right, right. Just I remember, pack your bags and go home. I remember you emailing me saying, like, you know, you better keep Brad Marchand on the bench for now. Yeah, um, yeah, because, yeah, you know, out of all the people he's that gonna, do something he's gonna turn, he's gonna something. Hand, sure. everyone turns to Brad Marchand. It's just like, you stay right there. Yep. Um, so this next game we can kind of do together. Um, Mark Mark Stone, it's it's our two games, uh, you know, our two teams. Um, this was the next day. Uh, so the Bruins just won. Um, and the Senators just won. So whoever wins this game gets four points. Um, so Mark Stone starts things off and scores in the first period. Um, it's kind of a nice goal there. Um, and then, um, and then you know, it was, it was kind of a boring game, more or less. Um, there was a couple penalties here and there, but um, uh, there was even a fight against Corrali and Harper, but... It wasn't really anything else going on. Um, then Brad Marchand gets a goal in the second period from Pasternak and Krug. And then, um, and then you know, there wasn't a ton of... Uh, I, I do have to say that McKenna kept you guys in the game. Like, he was phenomenal. Yeah, McKenna played awesome. Yeah, 42 awesome saves. Uh, he only let in two goals uh, the entire time. Which is more than what yeah, Rask had. Yeah, that stack in overtime too. That was yeah. gorgeous. 
Yeah, he had a couple of saves, nice saves where I was like, oh my god, I can't believe... <laughs> like, there was a couple times where I was just like, I can't believe we might lose to this guy. Because McKenna hasn't been... This is this has been McKenna's best game, McKenna's right? Been a, McKenna is an NHL journeyman. Yeah, but this has been, like, McKenna's best game so far this season, right? You would say? Yeah, may, maybe the best game he's ever played, actually. Okay, so exactly. So I was just like, we can't lose to McKenna like this. And then all of a sudden, you know, I guess I'm I'm thankful that we won. Uh, Krug gets the goal um, from Krejci and Brad Marchand in overtime. Um, so at least you guys get a point. We get uh, two points. So that was nice just seeing that, you know, considering we lost those to those two Florida teams, but it was nice to, to see that we could beat um, Toronto and Ottawa um, on back-to-back nights. So that's huge for us, especially since we don't yeah, have Bergeron. I think, I think you guys need the two points more than we yeah, did. Yeah, especially since we didn't have Bergeron. I think, I think every time you face the Sens, it should be like that. Yeah, especially it's since we... It's like, ah, oh, they need it more than we do. Yeah, we didn't have Bergeron. We didn't have Chara. Uh, we didn't have DeBrusque in those two games, so... Um, so that was nice to see, and it's good to see that guys like Jacob Persbacher, Carlson, picking things up. Donato um, was also uh, pretty good too. So um, that was nice to see. Also, so when I was telling this, a little bit of a, a minor story, and then we'll get back to the Arizona game quickly. Um, I uh, I was mentioning this to uh, my dad about what happened, and then he was saying that a couple of his work friends uh, were mentioning how they wanted to trade David Krejci and Tori Krug. And I was, <laughs> I was just like, what are they nuts? And it turns out that uh, Krejci had like, has been phenomenal um, this week, this past couple weeks. And I think it's because he's, he's been on the top line now. Um, so that's been a big move for them. Krug had two goals and like three assists. I think Krejci had like, like one goal and four assists or something like that. So, um, you know, Krejci has been an unheralded, like, like he's, he's been underappreciated mostly by yeah, Bruins. Like, I think that's a know. stupid idea. It's, it's like Nashville's just looking at yeah. the roster and it's just like, Oh yeah. You know, we got this Kyle tourist guy, you know, he's a pretty talented player, but we got other guys producing. Let's trade him. Yeah. That's like, exactly. Like, this is the whole point of loading up on depth is yeah. in case guys get hurt and you need those guys right. to play more minutes. Yeah, right. And especially for like times like this, when we don't have Bergeron for a long period of time, it's yeah. like super important to have a guy like Krejci. Krejci has been one of our, like low key, one of our best players uh, for the past couple of years. Like just in terms of consistency sake, um, like he hardly gets injured he always puts up points, um, and he's always like defensively responsible. So, um, he, you know, he's he's like a perfect second line center. Um, yeah, it's so, like it's like the backup goaltending position. You yeah. know, back in the day, you know, it's just like oh, we'll yeah. carry this guy around just in case we need him. But now, backup goalies are critical parts right. of 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 hockey. Like all good teams need a good backup almost yeah. to contend for. Um, yeah. a Stanley Cup or a playoff spot. Right. Even. So, like, it, if you have the option to get better, why not go for it, right? Yeah, no, for like, sure. Why, why trade, why, why trade, 
you know, I guess, people like Tori Krug and David Krejci when they could be helping you out. Yeah, I guess a lot of the a lot of it was that like Krejci's being paid seven million dollars and Krug's, I think, being played. Yeah, Krejci's played seven point two million. Krug has played five point two five million. So in that regard, I can understand it because like Krejci is our highest paid forward, and that should not be, you know. If- if this so. is a case where Boston is trading for Artemi Panarin, right? And maybe I think about trading Krejci, right? But other right. than that, unless you're getting an all-star player, I'm not yeah. trading David Krejci. As for as for Krug, um, I do get critical about his defensive play from time to time because he is a defenseman. Um, but at the same time, it's like, and like I do think that Charlie McAvoy will eventually take his spot as the power play guy. But at the same time, it's like, you know, when you look at all these other successful teams in the league, like, they all have really good defensemen. Um, yeah, like, you know, P.K. Subban isn't Yossi. the most well-rounded yeah. defenseman compared right. to, like, Roman Yossi. Wierinski, but he's still valuable to the Predators' success, right? right? Wierinski and Seth Jones is another example. Um, yeah, Provorov and Gospare, you know, yeah. so... There's a lot of, like, it's good to have two defensemen like that, especially when we don't have Chara, um, or Chara's probably going to retire in the next year or so. So um, it's it's good to have Krug um, and McAvoy on the same team um, just because, you know, you can never have too many good defensemen because they're, right. they're hard to come by. Um right. Anyways, let's go back to uh, the recaps here. Uh, quickly, uh, Nick Schmaltz and Nick Cousins score. And I was just thinking like, oh, God, this is going to be one of those games where back to uh, being bad again. And then all of a sudden, the second period, the Bruins just score four unanswered. Um, Dan and Hine. And it was, it was crazy, too, because they were all very similar. It was like uh, a pass. Uh, and then the the player, the goal scorer, like like crash the net, and uh, yeah. and they and just what, like sink in. What's even crazier than that is it happened in a span of less than five minutes. Yep. And they only had nine shots in that period. They're actually outshot seventeen to nine that period. Yeah. So that means they had four goals on nine shots in the second period. Right. No, it was it was crazy too because they were all like exactly the same play too. Anyways, uh, it was uh, Heinen, Pasternak, and then Marshawn got uh, got uh, two goals at the same time. Uh, it looks like Krejci yeah. is on the top line now with Marshawn and Pasternak. Um, so it's it's kind of like, so yeah. So why would we trade uh, a guy like Krejci um, when we have uh, um, when he can be a good guy for us on the top line? Um, so he's yeah. been the best. Bergeron replacement so far and that should have been what we expected of him uh so far and then also JFK has been pretty good um uh, on the uh second line with Heinen and Donato they've kind of gotten things going too so that was nice to see Michael Bunting um had uh scored um after all that uh to make it 4-3 but um, there was no scoring after that. Um, Clayton Keller, high stick, Charlie McAvoy. I'm only mentioning that because they used to be p- teammates um, at BU. So I thought that was kind of interesting. But um, other than that, it was kind of uh, less 
there wasn't that much fanfare um, between the guys, but so it was a nice win, um, to say the least. Um, I thought it was going to be much worse when I saw that they were up two nothing, but or when the Coyotes were up two nothing, but uh, luckily that's not the case. Uh, the Penguins, um, I guess, are we recording on Sunday? I don't know. Um, I think it's going to be a Monday one. Monday? Okay. So uh, the, Peng- the Bruins play the Penguins on Friday. Uh, they're at home against the Sabres on Sunday. And then they play the Canadians on Monday. So I'll only review two games next week. <laughs> Should be a very intense teams like Pittsburgh and Buffalo where you don't really know what to expect from them. Like Buffalo had that 10-game streak and then they went on a four-game slide, had a team right. meeting, then beat the Kings in OT. And Pittsburgh is starting to look a bit better too. So, yeah. The, the East is pretty wide open for with uh, with the exception of um, the top three in uh, in in the uh, Atlantic Division. The East is pretty wide open right now. Yeah, anyone can beat anybody. So yep, yeah. for sure. All right, go on with your sends. <laughs> Sorry, I took too long. That's no, okay. Um, well, uh, since you uh, have grown again, um, guess it's time. for me to start hitting the halves again because uh, it's one thing when they beat your team twice in three nights but it's another when you go into the dirty bag of chirps and two examples come to mind um the first one max domi mouthing waivers to uh from the bench but denies ever saying such a thing so uh i guess uh, we should say he allegedly mouthed the word waivers because he denies it. Um, the other was before the game, Jonathan Druin says the Habs hate the sense like they he they hate each other only to quickly uh, like they hate us. So if it was a slip up, I guess slide, but to Smith, a part of me f- felt like okay, they're they're going into their bag of tricks and they're pulling up the cheap shots and you know what their defense the sends are so easy to pick on right now yep and i know that as a fan they're so easy to pick on just because you have an opportunity to hit someone below the belt doesn't mean you should so um that kind of irks me the wrong way uh, um and teetering on the edge of oh oh we shouldn't be going there but you know what uh i guess when uh you're the Ottawa Senators, and you're in this position. Maybe it's one you deserve to be in, but I still don't taking shots. Trash talking aside, the Sens were not the better team in either of these two games. Uh, Domi and Truen had a lot of chemistry on the, the Tuesday night game in Montreal. Anderson, another 40-plus shot night for him. Uh, the Sens had to play from behind in the first period. Never got the lead in that game. Definitely not how you get results in this league. Uh, in the Thursday game, Ottawa got the first goal, but Montreal, quick reply, 20 seconds later, they tie it up. Sens are down by one, heading into the third. The second period, they didn't really look all that terrific uh, before scoring a power play goal to make it 3-2. Um, but again, they still had a chance to win it. And then the Habs outshoot them 19-3. to They get, again, 40-plus shots in that game. 
and the Sens only had three chances to even the score in the third period. I'm sorry, but again, you're not getting results in this league if you play like that. So heading into a Saturday game against the Pittsburgh team, that's also searching for answers. Um, I think it goes without saying Ottawa had to be better, uh, especially defensively. And in the first, the Pens outshot Ottawa 16 to seven, but um, the rest of the way they improved. The Sens had 26 giveaways in the game, but they had five chances to score with the extra man. Um, they made good on their fifth. Uh, Dezingle got his 12th of the year to win the game in overtime. And, um, you know, to Pittsburgh, to Pittsburgh's credit, they got over 30 shots. I think that's a given. The Sens are probably going to give up 30-plus shots. But considering that Pittsburgh got 30 shots on them, considering the 26 giveaway, this young Sanders team did a good job of holding their own against, on paper at least, a top-ranked offense in the NHL. And then they have to go from that game to another home game against Boston less than 24 hours later. And then Mike McKenna pitches in with a 42 save performance of his own, um, getting three points in four nights on a back to back like that. Isn't always easy. And when you give up three goals in those two games, um, I, I would call that even a bigger victory for Ottawa. So Definitely a good, strong showing after two lackluster outings against Montreal. I thought the Sens responded well. Uh, and then we go to this week, a game against Nashville on the road. Um, in case you haven't heard, they're terrible away from the CTC. They're pretty good at home ice, but on the road, they're not that good. Um, a lucky goal by Zach Smith gets them on the right foot, but Preds have a response, tie game at one. Uh, the Preds get two goals, take a three-to-one lead, don't look back from there. Uh, Shabbat played almost 27 minutes, blocked eight shots in that game. And Mark Stone had more ice time than Roman Yossi, had more ice time than Ryan Ellis, had more ice time than Matthias Ekholm. He had 26-plus minutes of ice time for a four. That's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. So they're definitely providing, like I said, even if they're not winning, they're definitely providing positives. They're actually a top five offense in the league, more than 100 goals in the campaign already. They're in the right direction. Um, but they definitely have a long way to go. And I was listening to the post-game show on the local radio station here in Ottawa, TSN 1200, and Chris Stevenson has been this for quite some time. And he's noticed that this team does better when they hang on to the puck in the other team's end. They hang on to it for a half a second or a full second more. That can make a little bit of a difference in setting up a quality chance or, heck, even scoring a clutch goal. And when they've played on the road, he hasn't seen that a lot. And that could be why they've only won three of 14 road games to start the year. But either way, the Sens have to figure it out. Um, they visit Detroit on Friday, Montreal on Saturday. They will then return home to face the Preds on Monday night. And uh, the Preds are looking a bit human these days, so maybe they get some points out of that. Um, the big story for the Sens is the double whammy of injuries that they got this weekend. Uh, so before the Boston game, Pierre Dorian broke the news that Matt Duchesne, one of the best players on the Sens, is expected to at best miss a couple of weeks with a groin injury. And 
if you saw the play, it, it didn't look like much. Yeah, it just looked like he tweaked something. He left the game, didn't return, and now he's out for several weeks. So that definitely hurt. So that was in the Thursday game against Montreal. Bobby Ryan gets a concussion, and you talk about a guy that's had injuries, ruined seasons of optimism. Um, that's happened with hand injuries in the past, and now it's a concussion, an injury that can be very dangerous to come back from, an injury that you don't know what the time frame is to come back. Uh, so that, and then on uh, Dylan DeMello has an upper body injury. He is out indefinitely, and uh, it might be good news that Mark Borowiecki is nearing a return, but doesn't do much good when uh, you're losing a defenseman as you're gaining one back. Uh, the other off-ice news that they made was who, if you don't remember, once upon a time was a sense prospect, dealt to Toronto in 2016 as part of the Dion Phaneuf trade in Ottawa in a four-player swap with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, taking a look at his stats, he's pulled goals in 85 points in 194 AHL contests. And uh, this year with Wilkes, six points in 15 games. Uh, in his long season with the, in 2015-2016, back when the franchise, uh, he had 22 points in 34 games there. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what Tobias Lindbergh brings. I've been a fan of Tobias Lindbergh. Um, he just hasn't really gotten a chance to make good on his NHL dreams. And, and uh He's uh, maybe he'll descend uh, in the near future. So uh, we'll wait and see what happens. Uh, and until then, I'm probably going to spend more time cheering for uh, my junior hockey team because uh, they're looking really good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can just say that really quickly. Uh, they got Mike, Michael DiPietro, as you said. Um, Which, by the way, they tossed around as back as a month, a month and a half ago. It's just thinking, you know, they already have Cedric Andre and Will Cranley. Both have been playing very for the team. Uh, they're already a top 10. They don't really need Mike DiPietro. Um, but it's basically a two-year window to really make some noise in the OHL. So I guess they thought, why not just let's get this guy. And uh, yep. I did. Uh, they gave up an unsigned prospect, four second-round picks, and three conditional picks for the Windsor Spitfires goaltender. Um, they have five second-rounders in this draft in 2019. They only gave up one of those away to get Mike DiPietro. So they're not giving up too much future, but they're still kind of going all in. And this, it's a big deal for the fan base because yep. in my lifetime, I haven't seen the 67s really make any blockbuster trades. Well, the the last time they really was in the late 2000s to the early 2010s when they had Sean Monaghan, when they had Tyler Toffoli, Logan Couture, Peter Morazic, Cody Cece. They didn't trade for any of those guys. Yep. And if they made any key moves, it was for guys who could bring whatever amount of depth that they needed. So to go out and get arguably the best goaltender in the league is absolutely insane. Um, if you look at his OHL numbers... He's actually he actually was on pace to set career highs with Windsor on an average Windsor team that had said goodbye to a lot of veteran talent 
the past 12 months. Um, so considering that he was still putting up career numbers despite all of that, um, makes you wonder if he can do that with Windsor, then what can he do with the 67? And it's something that I'll talk about in a future episode a couple weeks down the road, but has made the 60. Mike DiPietro has done for the team, but uh, for now, asked to partake in uh, Canada's World Junior Camp. He has a legit shot of being uh, the number one goaltender for Team Canada at the World Juniors. So he's got that on his plate. So uh, it'll be the tandem of on for the time being until DiPietro comes back from that. But um, it's really a great time to be a 67s fan right now. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see what they bring this year. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm happy for you. I remember you talked about like a couple years ago um, about how excited, like how good you thought Mike DiPietro was going to be. And now, now he's on your team, um, your OHL team. Yeah. Um, I, went to his, uh, I went to his debut this past Saturday. He looked just as good as um, they said he was. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it should be a fun season ahead. Can't wait. All right. Um, yeah, I th- <laughs> this uh this turned into a longer episode than I thought it would be, um, but it's <laughs> like okay. Most episodes. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. Well, it's funny because we started the Bruin Sun segment at an hour, and now we're at an hour forty-five. So it's uh, so it took us an, an hour 45, 45 minutes to uh, to get through a, a Bruin Sun segment. Although I guess to be fair, we had to cover five games, or I guess nine games, yeah. if you combine the Bruins yeah, and Suns game that, that happened, but. Um, so yeah, anyways, uh, so that's about it. I, uh, yeah, you can catch us on, uh, SoundCloud and iTunes. We should be on every podcast platform. Our Facebook is, uh, Lace Them Up, where I just post the latest episodes. And I, uh, Twitter, we're a little bit more active on, which is Lace Up Pod, uh, Lace Up Podcast. Um, and that's uh, you know where we mostly update you on NHL news, um, and you know we pin the uh, the episode up there as well. So um, yeah, um, I uh, see you guys uh, next week. Um, I'm Brett Duba. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 150 of the Lace Up Podcast. <laughs>